What up? And welcome to the Suns Saturday Podcast. I'm Tyler Rojek here with Luke Smith, and we got a great show planned today. I'm in a great mood because it's officially game week again. I think even Luke is happy too, which is kind of rare on Mondays. Uh, these past two weeks have felt like an eternity. It's been a weird couple weeks, not just for the Notre Dame football program, really the school overall, but I'm super excited to be able to watch some Irish football again this weekend. Luke and I will get into our three things, then we'll do some Sunday's headlines, and then we had a really interesting conversation with Mike Singer, who covers Notre Dame football recruiting for Rivals.com. Uh, it's a little bit different than what we've been doing interview-wise, but we thought it would be perfect timing to do something like this considering Notre Dame was coming off a bye and they picked up two big-time commitments last week in Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey. So we'll get into this year's class a little bit, but we mostly just talked big-picture stuff about how Notre Dame recruits. We discussed some of their strengths and weaknesses on the recruiting trail, You know, who are some of the best recruiters on the staff, that kind of stuff. And honestly, I learned a lot, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, as for this week, Luke, not a great week of sports for either of us. So how's morale? Um, yeah, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. Uh, last week was awful. Uh, I won't pull any punches. Uh, the Cubs just had an absolutely gutless performance against the Miami Marlins, getting swept in two games and scoring one run. In those two games, you know, they've only scored like three runs in their last 40 playoff innings or something ridiculous like that. So that's great. Um, Bear game yesterday was just absolutely atrocious uh no offense whatsoever you didn't have a great week either the indians had you know that was just uh, that you actually kind of at least got to live out playoff baseball a little bit and at the second game there were different points in that game where you led and you thought like oh maybe we actually might win a game here so at least you got that but i didn't really even have that um it was just gross um start to finish but the irish are back this week so hopefully that improves things yeah, quick baseball rant. That was uh, that was death by a million paper cuts. I don't even think that I actually yeah. thought the Indians would win ever during that game. Uh, yeah, our baseball team suck now, and uh, Lindor is going to leave, and that game was miserable. It was the longest baseball game, the longest nine-inning game in MLB history. I stayed up until like one thirty. then the Indians blow it. Nothing better than that. Yeah, that shit sucked, and I'm going to get depressed thinking about it again, so let's move on from that. But it sounded like today, on Monday afternoon, we did get a little bit more updates on Notre Dame and the COVID outbreak, so could you walk us through that? We did get a little bit more clarity as far as Notre Dame's COVID-19 situation goes, and frankly, it kind of seems like all systems are are go. Um, You know, the Irish started practicing again last Thursday, scrimmaged this past Sunday, they came out with an update today saying that they encountered two positive tests last week and still have seven players in isolation for positive tests, four in quarantine due to contact tracing. But for the most part, you know, the whole team's practicing and in looking to be in shade to play against Florida State this week. We also saw the depth chart released. Um, Tariq Bracey was on the two deep. Um, most of the other starters were as well. I'm sorry, all the starters were. Um, really didn't seem to be any notable absences with the Exception of Jack Kaiser, who played very well against South Florida two weeks ago. But if you recall, he was thrusted into that role due to some COVID-related absences. Uh, but it seems like the Irish are going to pretty much have everybody this weekend. Um, so that's that's a positive thing. Also an interesting tidbit I found um, from our friend of the program, Pete Sampson of The Athletic. He wrote that the ACC protocol for COVID is that players who test positive and recover don't need to be tested again for 90 days. Um, so that actually means that the 25 players the Irish have who tested positive last week will be clear from isolation and quarantine the rest of the season. So a significant part of the roster is going to be available the rest of the way, even if there is another outbreak. 
I'm not a health and medical expert. I don't know. I'm not going to try to make any sweeping generalizations here, but that seems like a positive thing, regardless of whether or not that should be the policy. Um, but did find that interesting. Does seem like the Irish are, are going to be in, in good shape to hammer the, the Knolls Saturday night. Yeah, I think I think Notre Dame is going to be a little sloppy at first. They played sloppy against Duke. You could tell that sort of the weird preparation, the weird offseason um, did have an effect on them. And I can't really imagine that just having a week off in the middle of the season with no practice or no real workouts or anything. Right. Like, it's, I don't expect them to just bounce back from that and be, you know, clicking on all cylinders. But the good thing is they're playing Florida State, who struggled with Jacksonville State this weekend. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, we spent a lot of time trashing them and got some feedback saying, maybe, did we jinx them? I was a little bit worried, and then I saw the Jacksonville State game. I am no longer worried. <laughs> no, I'm not either. Um, I think you're right. Probably will see a little bit of rust, at least initially Saturday night. But then again, it's it's Florida State. Now, before we get into the three things we liked and didn't like from this past week's college football slate, I did want to take a moment to recognize um, a loss of a Notre Dame icon this past weekend, Sergeant Tim McCarthy, who delivered his iconic, may I have your attention, please, at the start of every fourth quarter Starting in home games in 1961 all the way through 2015, uh, mostly public service announcements in designed to discourage drunk driving. Um, really, we're kind of just known for having one-liners that were especially corny, but you have never seen Notre Dame Stadium so quiet uh, as it is every fourth quarter when Tim McCarthy's voice comes over the loudspeaker. He passed away this past weekend, unfortunately, of of old age, but I, I just wanted to say I think such a big part of growing up going to Notre Dame games was at the start of the fourth quarter when his voice came on in the stadium quieted, whether I had friends visiting me for the game or there were visiting fans sitting around me, it was always really funny to see their reactions, to see how the entire stadium quieted down for some announcement that a police officer was going to make, and then they would hear that corny one-liner at the end, like, safe drivers get the cheers by avoiding the booze, and the whole stadium would erupt. Um, you know, something that's really built into the fabric of, of Notre Dame game days. And So I want to thank Tim McCarthy for his many years of service to the Notre Dame fan base and, and wish him eternal peace, um, but did want to recognize that as that happened this weekend. You're right. Watching the opposing fans who like weren't really in on the joke look around just with this weird, confused look on their face, like, what am I missing? Like that that wasn't that funny. It was it was always a great part and you're right. That was just a staple of every Notre Dame game and uh he'll be missed. So let's move on to a positive note now. What are the three things you liked from this weekend? Yeah, so candidly, I did not watch a ton of college football until the night slate um, this past weekend. I was out playing golf most of the day. However, I did, you know, do my watching via Twitter for the most part and, you know, watch some of the Saturday night games. And the first thing I loved was Andy Staples, uh, leader of the Notre Dame defense squad. So to give you some context, some ass clown with a blue check mark on Twitter who I've never heard of tweeted after Texas lost to TCU that Texas is entering Notre Dame levels of overrated. (laughs) Well, um, our friend Andy Staples quote tweeted it saying, Notre Dame has two undefeated regular seasons since 2012. Texas has lost to TCU seven times since 2012. Probably shouldn't put Texas and Notre Dame in the same sentence. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, He did have even further kind of defending Notre Dame, but I think you and I have talked about this, Woj. 
Texas is what people actually think Notre Dame is. Texas is garbage. They've been overrated since, you know, the national title they won that, by the way, this year is old enough to drive. That happened that long ago. I don't understand why people, you know, put Notre Dame on the same level as Texas when we have just more consistently performed, but did appreciate to see uh, a respected member of the national media supporting us like our boy Andy Staples there. Yeah, I think most national media members are kind of on the Notre Dame bandwagon now, which is a little weird. Definitely not used to that. But really, anyone who watches college football objectively or follows it intensely will see that Notre Dame now is consistently one of the better teams in the country. I mean, since 2017, there's only four teams with a better win percentage than Notre Dame, and it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and UCF. So that kind of speaks for itself. And we'll get more into Texas later, but it really is infuriating, like the comparisons there, because there isn't one. No, exactly. Um, I completely agree, but thank you, Andy Staples. Staying in the uh, theme of Notre Dame, you know, I've made our opinions, or at least my opinions, on Phil Dracovic very well known, whether those are petty opinions or not. Uh, this past weekend, he did play pretty well once again. I'll give him the, I'll give him the credit there. You know, he, he leads Boston College on a 15-play, 69-yard drive to bring his team within 24-22 against UNC in the final minute of the game. And on that two-point conversion, he threw a pick that was returned for two points. So, love seeing that. Um, the other side of that is that, you know, I know UNC hadn't played in three weeks, and they exhibited some of that rust that I think we're expecting Notre Dame to to show this past week. But... The more and more I see of ACC teams, the more apparent it becomes to me that this Notre Dame season is really just a one-game referendum, and that referendum is Clemson on November 7th. Which brings me to Clemson. Um, Love to see the Wahoos of Virginia covering plus 28.5 with ease. Uh, 41-23 loss. Epic loss. Um, Epic in the sense that, you know, they covered. I really appreciated that. I don't think this is any side against Clemson. I think Clemson's pretty darn good, but good to see, uh, you know, UVA. I'm not going to say they challenged them, but they covered against them. So I appreciated that. Yeah, it's sort of a blessing and a curse that this season might actually just come down to that one game against Clemson because on the other end, Clemson's whole season basically comes down to that one game against Notre Dame because they don't really play other than Miami this weekend. And they're two touchdown favorites. I don't know about you. Like, I just don't. I mean, the fact that Miami's number seven is just kind of laughable. I mean, we can get into that later, but I don't think Clemson probably views Miami the same way they're viewing Notre Dame. <laughs> I don't think Vegas does either. They're 14-point favorites. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit concerning. And then, you know, Dabo's going to play the little old Clemson card, and we'll see how that goes. But for me, really cool story from this weekend. Stetson Bennett, the quarterback of Georgia, he had an awesome game. He led Georgia in a victory over Auburn. And I think the whole Stetson Bennett story – it's just really awesome to begin with. He walked on at Georgia, then he left for a year to play at junior college, then he came back to Georgia to be Frum's backup. He gets a scholarship. And it's really weird how Georgia's treated him lately because it they basically did everything they could not to play him. <laughs> Jamie Newman came over from Wake Forest, and then he opted out. They get JT Daniels from USC. He's not medically cleared. That whole situation is a little bit bizarre. I think we also thought when he did get cleared this week that he was going to start. Yeah, everyone did. Clearly Kirby Smart knew something we didn't because Stetson played, but you're right. And then also they started Dewan Mathis, who's just a year removed from like a brain cyst surgery, and he was terrible. Bad. Yeah, he's terrible. First of all, the name Stetson Bennett is just perfect for Georgia. So you know he's a good old Southern boy, true brother of the South. Oh, yeah. They even threw a dip in on the sideline, so he's definitely from the South. <laughs> he's only 5'11", so salute to the short guys. And came in to rescue Georgia against Arkansas, 
And then against Auburn, he goes 8 for 11 on third downs. His one touchdown pass of the game came the next play after he got absolutely crushed on a blitz. Gets up, throws a touchdown pass, and that game was never even really close. Georgia was up 24 to 3 at half. Auburn was really never in the game. He completely outplayed Bo Nix. So, I don't know. I think that was a great story, and it looks like Georgia got a quarterback. And if they do... I mean, their defense looked badass. So it, that race in the East between them and Florida is going to be something good. Um, I also liked Alabama's air raid offense. I don't think anyone really predicted that. And Alabama just lit up Texas A&M and Mike Elko's defense. They put up 52 points, only 45 on offense, though, because there was a pick six. Mac Jones goes 20 of 27, 435 yards, and four touchdowns. Alabama just obviously loaded at the receiver position yet again. John Mechie led the way with five catches for 185 Waddle, who basically single-handedly kept Alabama in the game against Auburn last year, he had 142 yards in TD. They're loaded with weapons, but I was really impressed by Mac Jones. And even though I sort of predicted that Texas A&M will get rolled because I just don't, I, think, they're very I don't good. think they're very good. Yeah, Kellen Mond is pretty over. I, I did not realize their defense was that poor. And lastly, that's too much SEC praise. A week after I said I was a known SEC hater, I just gave <laughs> love to two SEC teams, so that's far too much. Uh, NC State's comeback against Pitt that game was pure chaos. Pitt just in classic Pitt fashion dropping a game that they absolutely should win. But I didn't expect yeah. NC State to drive the length of the field twice to go ahead when they were down. And like Pitt went up five with a minute 44 left. And then Devin Leary of NC State just marched right down the field. They score on a perfect back shoulder pass. Super impressed. And, uh, yeah, that Pat Narduzzi defense that we've heard a lot about, it didn't look that great. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'll still beat us. God, I hate Pat Narduzzi. <laughs> uh, if anybody talks about that defense one more Well, this time, is the Pitt, yeah. I'm glad that this This happened. is the Pitt way, though. They have to drop yeah, a game. And then They play awful against garbage teams and then somehow lead us the entire game. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to that game at all. Like, I might have taken joy in them losing to NC State, but in no way, shape, or form am I looking forward <laughs> to that game on the schedule. I actually get pissed whenever I see Pitt on the schedule. Yeah, I, I, it's almost, it's not quite Navy level, but I, I don't enjoy pit games. All right, what didn't you like from this weekend? So, the Mike Leach experience, if you will. Um, and, and, you know, I don't really like grouping it in the dislike bucket because it's nothing against Mike Leach or Mississippi State. However, them losing to Arkansas was the most predictable thing ever. Um, you saw the classic week one overreaction, week one SEC, that is, when they beat LSU and KJ Costello. Threw for 623 yards. Everybody's, you know, blowing them up, saying Mississippi State in the air raid is going to, you know, blow up the SEC. I can't believe they hammered LSU. So, of course, they lost to Arkansas, um, who is one of the worst power five teams in the country. That's just who Mike Leach is. You know, they can be so unbelievably good. And then they just lose these games for no reason. That's been, you know, the whole Mike Leach saga, whether it's at Texas Tech or Washington State, now Mississippi State. So, um, that's just the Mike Leach experience. That's something we're going to have to get used to. That was just uh, so predictable, I felt like. Further, um, I really, really, really need an apology from Oklahoma for ruining my perfect slate. Um, you know, I went 7-0 and against the spread on Saturday Whoa. until Oklahoma. 7-0? Yeah. Until Oklahoma. Um, and that ended up, you know, kind of screwing me in my pick'em league, but that's neither here nor there. But... I hated that pick the entire way, but I was still following some people's advices. Which like, oh, Iowa State's garbage. And they still might be garbage, but Oklahoma's more garbage, I guess. Um, you know, kind of just devastating to me personally. 
I think at a minimum, it shows how bad the Big 12 is this year, that coupled with Texas's performance. They're not going to have a team in the playoff. I know Oklahoma State's undefeated, but they that seems pretty, uh, pretty you know, walking on broken glass there too. Um, but yeah, really poor performance from Oklahoma. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> and then finally, um, you know, it wouldn't be a, a dislike without me having something really petty, but Eric McLean coming out with his uh, a- or weekly ACC power rankings, having the Irish at four. Yeah, I understand we haven't played in two weeks, but Miami and North Carolina have absolutely no business being ahead of us. Um, Miami's going to get blown out by Clemson this week, so that'll take care of itself. And in North Carolina, I, I just don't understand why people think they're being trendy and smart when Notre Dame and Clemson are clearly on a level above everybody else in this whole freaking conference, but whatever. <laughs> I love you. You versus the blue check marks on Twitter is like a never-ending oh. saga in itself. I mean, maybe they should do my job of, you know, trying to figure out solutions on public health, and I can do their job because I think we'd both be a lot better at each other's jobs. I hear you. Nothing Well, the rivalry between you and Dan Wilkin is my favorite, but this one is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just small sample size. Notre Dame is going to get disrespected probably until they play a real quality opponent, which is a few games away at the earliest. It's the only time it's going to happen all year. So. Yeah, so I don't know. Eventually, the chips will fall where they may, and I think they'll separate themselves later on. Uh, I didn't like, first thing, Auburn, Georgia not living up to the hype. Before the game, our buddy Spencer Scannell shared a text with us that his dad sent to him, and he said, we need a great game. We as Americans are long overdue for a great game, and honestly, I couldn't agree more. We re- he's right. He's right, and uh, Georgia just dominated. Auburn didn't deliver at all. We've already talked about that game a little bit, but yeah, I was really disappointed. I was really excited for the game. Auburn, just a no-show there, so whatever. I mean, Georgia doubled them up almost in total yards, 442 to 216, so embarrassing display by Auburn. Something I also didn't like, Texas being ranked over TCU after losing them. We've already talked about Texas a little bit, but like, what the hell is that? Why is Texas ranked 22nd? TCU's not even ranked. Now, I get it. TCU lost to Iowa State. But Iowa State just beat Oklahoma. And, like, even taking that all out, like, why is Texas ranked? I think that's the real question. (laughs) I mean, they're garbage. Um, And and especially considering they lost TCU. At Texas. At Texas, too. Yeah. And that's, what, the sixth time in seven years that TCU's beaten Texas? Yeah. Seventh time in, like, the last eight years. Texas is basically only ranked because of their preseason ranking. We talked last week about how truly dumb preseason rankings are especially this year too when like most of the blue check marks what do you expect it's true but whatever sam ellinger was erratic he had a 47 percent completion percentage they put up points but it was a good game but still like tcu beat them at texas so what is the point of playing the head-to-head if they're still going to be ranked beneath them whatever it's the same argument you know as michigan in 2018 should have been ranked ahead of notre dame because they would have beaten them later in the season right even though they lost to brandon wimbush yeah so. whatever that's that was ridiculous then it's even more ridiculous now <laughs> lastly uh how about abilene christians lionel mcconnell and kentucky's amir rose they threw up the deuces on their way to getting run down um the deuces should be for tyreek hill and juice man Dexter Williams, nobody else. It's so Agreed. embarrassing when you when you start showboating like thirty yards out. The Abilene Christian guy, like as soon as he broke the edge, he put it up. It's like, dude, that's way too early. Like at least get some separation. And then Rose on Kentucky in perfect Kentucky football fashion. Not only does he get ran down, they fumble the ball and turn it over two plays later. I'm still embarrassed that I gave Kentucky as a pick uh, two weeks ago because they just dropped it to Ole Miss. 
And yeah, just an embarrassing display. If you're going to showboat, at least finish the job or at least be good enough to even be doing it in the first place. Like, dude, come on. Abilene Christian, Abilene Christian, and you're showboating from the 40-yard yeah. line. Embarrassing. I, I guess my question to you is why were you watching the Abilene Christian game? <laughs> uh, okay. Wow, I'm called out. <laughs> I wasn't watching it, but I saw it on the highlights. Although I can't okay. even pretend like I, it's something I wouldn't do. Uh, yeah, I really don't have – much of a social life here in Connecticut. So my Saturdays are reserved only for college football, whether I'm working or not. Fair. Um, damn, I'm feeling just, like, exposed right now. I mean, I know I'm a loser. But that's what I didn't like from Saturday. Hopefully this weekend we actually get some good games. We do have some, uh, like, top-ranked matchups. But Clemson and Miami, we both kind of agree how we think that one's going to go out. But that actually is a good segue into uh, Sunday's headlines because I think you have one about Miami off the top. Yeah, I do. Um Miami magic was all smoke and mirrors as Clemson rolls by 40 in Death Valley. I, we know what Miami football does, what they have done since 2002, and that is suck. Um, <laughs> and in 2017, when they started out 9-0 and and, you know, hammered the Irish in that godforsaken stadium on an absolute fluke night, they completely imploded down the stretch, and that's what Miami does. They implode. They haven't played anybody good. You know, we thought Louisville might have been okay, but then they actually turned out had the worst defense in the ACC. Or the country. Um, yeah, maybe the country. So uh, we know what Clemson does, too. They absolutely hammer teams like this, and this game's in Death Valley. You know, I do think Derek King's a decent player. I just don't think the rest of the team is nearly up to par there, nor do I think they're well coached. I think Clemson absolutely hammers Miami Saturday night. All right. I got one. Alabama, first team to score 100 points. Lane Kiffin leaves after third quarter for Tinder Day. Um, Lane Kiffin back in Alabama. I think there's some animosity there between Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin didn't leave on the best of terms. He gets Didn't he, didn't he leave, like, after the playoff game? Yeah. Before, he got fired before the national championship. Right. They beat Washington, and their offense looked, like, really bad. bad. Like, not— I don't want to say bad, but definitely like unprepared. And Lane Kiffin had already signed, like he had agreed to take the job at Florida Atlantic. And it was clear that his mind was not um, on the Alabama offense. Saban recognized it and dumped his ass right before the national championship. And then Steve Sarkeesian had the role of play calling. So if this Alabama offense is that good and they could throw it, I have no doubt in my mind that Nick Saban will want to just beat the shit out of that team and they will light it up. And the hell, Lane Kiffin back. I mean, he has a reputation. I could totally see him just be like, you know what? I'm out. He left Tennessee in the middle of the night. He could do it in the middle of a game against Alabama. So that's my headline. Yeah. What about you? Joey Freshwater? Yeah, I like <laughs> that. I, I do have another name one. However, I have another one that I think is more uh, relevant to two teams we've, we've trashed so far already, <laughs> and that is both teams forfeit in saddest Red River shootout of all time. Um, we have Texas-Oklahoma this weekend. Both teams kind of just limping into this game, not going to have any fans there. Um, it's it's going to be depressing. It, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I and love honestly, that game. yeah, I don't I don't think the team should even show up. Yeah, I don't think the team should show up. So um, maybe they'll just forfeit. Yeah, it's really disappointing. The Red River Shootout is one of my like favorite games every season, and I I'm I mean, who am I kidding? Of course I'm going to watch it, but I'm not going to enjoy watching it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see if it conflicts with the Abilene Christian game. But if it doesn't, then, you know, I'll watch. All right, so my other one I got, NBC issues formal apology to podcast host for putting Notre Dame's beatdown of Florida State on primetime. I've already vented about 
Florida State, we've already we've trashed them enough, so we don't really have to get into it. But the fact that it's on at 7.30, like, they should change it. Now I'm going to have to watch that game at the same time as the Miami-Clemson game, and I'm just annoyed. It's uh, That game yeah. should be on primetime. That should be on 3.30. I know that before the season it was arranged that way. They can go back. Notre Dame used to play only one night game a year, and that was sort of like a huge deal. And now if we're playing Florida State at night, it just sort of like yeah takes away a lot of the fun. Like, come on. There's no reason this game is on primetime. But what's your other one? Yeah, you know, I actually – a lot can change between this is Monday night and Saturday. I actually think I'm going to South Bend this weekend for the game. Um, I don't know where the hell I'm going to watch it, maybe Brothers or something. But going to experience my first Notre Dame game day uh, in the strangest season of all time uh, this Saturday. But my Notre Dame headline for the week is St. Joe High School Indians beat Florida State Seminoles on Saturday in South Bend. Um, honestly, I've said this last week, we could put the St. Joe high school team out there. Um, I, I really do think we could do that. And maybe we should, you know, maybe we should, because I, I let the guys get some more reps in. Let's not get anybody hurt, get everybody healthy. I'm going, like I said, but the game is really an afterthought. Uh, I'm just going to see some people um, socially distantly um, and then really kind of just see what South Bend's like uh, in a COVID season. I'm not buying that, dude. You're definitely going to try to sneak into the game. Are you going to dress up in like an ushers? Like what? what's your plan well, here? Well, my thought process was, and if anybody's listening to this, I am absolutely not doing this, but um, my thought process was I was just going to try to scout things out for the Clemson game. Um, I don't really want to see this game, you know, or, you know, in person, but figure out a way um, to, you know, find a way in for November 7th. So that's kind of why I'm going this week. I think the usher route is the way to go. I think you could pull that off. Yeah, I I don't know what their usher policy is this year. You have Um, to be 70 years old. So that right. would be but, an issue. But why would they be putting those guys there? They're at risk. It is Indiana, True. I guess, but I don't know. True. Yeah. So, well, good luck. We'll see what happens. But now I want to get into the interview with Mike Singer. We talked about it a little bit before. I follow recruiting a decent amount. You know, I used to follow it a lot more, but then I realized that when I spend a lot of time and energy hinging on the decision-making of 16- and 17-year-old kids that I will never meet or ever encounter in my life. Uh, It's unhealthy for me. You know, it works for some people, but it was really interesting with Mike because, look, like, if you're like Mira Luke, you desperately want Notre Dame to win a national championship, and it hasn't happened in a long time. And you can have a great coaching staff, and you can develop, but if you can't recruit, it doesn't really matter. In the past 20 years, only three teams have won a national title without having signed at least one top five recruiting class in one of the previous four years. Brian Kelly has only signed two top five classes during his time at Notre Dame. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of restrictions, and Notre Dame has to deal with a much different playing field than a lot of the other schools. But it's interesting to hear his perspective on a lot of those different things. So, yeah, let's just get into it. We're joined now by Mike Singer, recruiting insider and editor for Blue and Gold Illustrated on the Rivals Sports Network. So, Mike, thank you for coming on, man. Uh, You guys have had some awesome guests in the first few episodes. So I've got some big shoes to kind of fill here, and hopefully I don't drop the ball. So uh, I appreciate (laughs) you guys setting me up for failure. Well, we wanted to bring you on to, to bring on a, a kind of different perspective from, than what we've experienced with our previous guests. But before we get into that kind of those topics, could you describe your role a little bit as a recruiting insider and, and kind of just explain the primary responsibilities of that job? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I've been with Rivals for seven years and my family still doesn't know what the heck I do. They think I work for, you know, different schools like, oh, you know, you you out there recruiting for Notre Dame? No, I'm not. <laughs> 
Um, if I did, if I was recruiting for Notre Dame, I'd be like making three or four times as much if I was like on coaching staff or something. But um, so basically I, I cover kids, you know, when, if Notre Dame's recruiting a kid, um, you know, trying to get his commitment, want him to sign on the dotted line, um, doing articles on the young man, um, talking to his folks, talking to his coaches, um, really just everything you want to know about Notre Dame football recruiting big picture to the little minutia of who they're recruiting and what I think about these different kids. Cause uh, such a big part of my job is going out and traveling. There's tons of different Notre Dame reporters. Um, so there's a lot of different outlets to get your information, but what I pride myself on is going out and see these kids in person, build those relationships in person and also, you know, get my own evaluations. Cause I think that's huge seeing them with your own eyes. So how would you describe the balance of your job between scouting and actually just reporting? Uh, yeah, I would say it's got to be heavy on the reporting side. Um, you know, I would like to think I really know my football stuff, but uh, I, I know my reporting stuff a lot more. So, yeah, I'd say it's about 80-20. But, again, like with the going out and see these kids, um, I can see what a kid does after he drops the ball or after he throws a bad pass or after he misses that block. Like what is their reaction to when something goes bad? What kind of leader are they um, when they're not on the field? Are they talking to their teammates or are they off by themselves? Like, are they like a team player? Um, so you can't see that in a highlight tape. Um, so that's, that's really cool. That's, that's the unique perspective that you can do when you see these guys in person, you know, breaking down the X's and O's uh, might not be a super big strength of mine, although it's something I do, but that's just a really cool thing that you can report on when you, when you see these kids in person. So obviously covering Notre Dame, you see a lot, but you yourself, you know, you're not a Notre Dame homer by any means. Didn't grow up as a fan of the team. And that's kind of, you know, where Woj and I are coming from here. But so you have a pretty objective perspective on a lot of stuff. So I guess kind of what I'm curious is from what you've observed during your time covering Notre Dame, what are their biggest strengths in recruiting? I got a few here. Biggest thing I want to mention is that above, you know, obviously academics, the history, we'll get into those things. It's just like the Notre Dame staff and not just Kelly and the 10 assistant coaches, like just everyone in that building, I feel like is like, they got good, genuine people. They're very honest. Um, there are schools that um, maybe recruit harder than Notre Dame, but Notre Dame recruits more genuine than any other school. And a lot of kids want the glitz and glamour and maybe we'll end up at a school um, that is more into uniforms than academics. But um, like, uh, I think a lot of kids and families see through that and, and see that Notre Dame has been honest with me from day one. So I think that's a, a real thing that um, look, whether or not Notre Dame is going to win the national championship or not is like, the mark of the, is this a winning or is this a good season or not for us? That's, that's how a lot of fans see it, but you, you got to remember that these are real people with real lives and real feelings. And Notre Dame does an amazing job building real relationships with these people on it, during the recruiting process. And then once they get to Notre Dame, it, it's still a real family feel there um, from different families I've spoken with that went through the recruiting process of Notre Dame. And now they're at Notre Dame and, and they're still really loving it. So that's, that's the first thing. It's just that there's just really great and bright people on the coaching staff. And then obviously brand recognition's huge. Um, you know, kids always know that Notre Dame's an independent, of course, other than this year um, they know about 
you know, touchdown Jesus and, and just the great academics. So there's the huge brand recognition. Um, the academics is a huge part um, that keeps Notre Dame in contention with a lot of kids where it's like, all right, you have 10 schools. They're all great at football, but Notre Dame's great at academics. So that sets them apart from a lot of other schools. So, you know, academics is huge. I would, I would add positional success, um, especially at like offensive line and tight end. If Notre Dame offers an offensive lineman, that's one of the kids right away. I got to talk to this kid. If Notre Dame offers some like five-star defensive back, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, if I don't get to interview that kid, it's not the biggest deal in the world because how many five-star DBs are going to Notre Dame. But like a five-star offensive lineman, there's a really good shot there. Um, And we're seeing that uh, across the board. Notre Dame is a five-star commit in the 2021 class along the offensive line right now. Blake Fisher from Indianapolis. So, um, and and the same deal with tight end. I mean, they're just getting um, big time players at both of those positions because they've had such success of putting those guys into the NFL And the last thing I'll mention is the staff does a really good job when these kids get on campus for visits. Obviously that has not happened since uh, February 1st because of uh, with the pandemic, the NCAA enacted a dead period, which has shut down visits from it was March front till now. Um, And then before that there was a dead period that was already Mm -hmm. in the calendar. So February 1st, Notre Dame had a recruiting weekend. That was their last. And that was uh, what, eight months ago. So uh, but when those visits do take place, the Notre Dame coaching staff does a really good job of rolling out the red carpet and presenting them with a lot of information. Um, so those are kind of the things that stood out to me um, w- w- with that question. So one of the biggest stories this past offseason was regard to comments made by Brian Kelly during the bowl week about the need to be a top five team in recruiting every year, which is a pretty substantial change from the top 15 to top 10 talk from him throughout his time at Notre Dame. So do you think that's a realistic expectation for Notre Dame at this point to finish in the top five in recruiting on a consistent basis? I really don't. I really don't. And, and here's why. Um, first of all, I, I, that, the question you're asking me, I, I, this is something that comes up all the time. And I just wonder if Kelly knew like going into that press conference, he was going to say that. Like, it was did he pretty surprising. Like it, it, was, it caught me off guard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Caught me off guard too. Did, like, did he go into that knowing, or was that just kind of like an off the cuff thing that he just kind of said, because when you say we have things in place to become a top five, and of course I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing a top five class. Now you have data that people can say, Brian, you did not get a top five class. You know, if you just say, we're going to do things that are going to improve recruiting, that's very subjective. But if you say top five class, now I can go on Rivals 247 ESPN and look. You know, I don't have to really know context about, well, this kid was ranked this, but, you know, this is what happened to him or whatever it is. You can just look. Failure, success. Um, So, is it a real expectation, realistic expectation? I don't think so. Uh, I think Notre Dame has been a top five, uh, had a top five recruiting class, at least per rivals once. And I believe it was 2013. I want to say in the Brian Kelly era, there was finished number three. Um, yeah, so right after just, the national championship too. So. It right. And, and yeah, it's just so tough. Here, here's the thing. And this is how Rivals does its uh, team recruiting rankings. I can't speak for 24-7 and ESPN, but Rivals, let's say you've signed 25 guys. Rivals only takes your top 20 recruits. So let's say you've signed, um, you know, again, 25 guys, but five of them are two stars. Does, that doesn't even count towards your rankings. 
So Notre Dame in this 2020 recruiting class signed 17. So that immediately puts them at a disadvantage. If they, right. So they finished 22nd in the recruiting rankings last year. If they would have signed three measly little three stars, they would have been bumped up to like 13 or 14. But they finished at 22 because they weren't going to take just a random dudes just to improve their recruiting ranking. So when Kelly said that, I think it was more of a, like, in our minds, we're going to go. We're, we're taking the next step. But when he put top five, that made it a real thing where it's a data point of we, we can see if you're correct or not. But um, with Notre Dame taking small classes a lot of times because they don't have a ton of attrition, right? I mean, like some of these schools, like Tennessee is taking like 30 guys in this recruiting class. I think a large part of that is because they have a lot of kids leave the program. Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of guys leave the program. Of course, every offseason there are – players who depart from the fighting Irish, but not as much as you see at other schools. So because of that, Notre Dame doesn't take a lot of big recruiting classes. It happens here and there, of course, but this recruiting class isn't going to reach 25. Again, last year's was only 17. Um, so it's just that hurts your ranking. So Notre Dame could sign a like a really great class, but if it's only 18, there, you, there's no way you're going to even get to the top five, let alone top 10. That's just really tough. So what aspects of the program or the university or even the location, what do you think is holding back Notre Dame the most? Or do you think it just has to do with attrition and they're signing smaller classes? Yeah, that that's a huge part to the, the ranking. But if we're going to talk about like what I feel like Notre Dame could do in improving their recruiting. So I'm, I'm saying this to you guys who's in your podcast audience, but I have to think about this as if I'm talking to – Brian Kelly sitting across from your Brian Napoleon sure. or, or director of recruiting Aaron Kearney. Like what, if, if I'm going to say this to you guys, I better like say this to their face, you know, cause who knows they might be listening to this. So um, I think the location is, that's a real thing. Okay. So when I took this job in May of 2019, I had the option to move to South Bend and wait, are there a lot of recruits in South Bend? You, I mean, are there? None. There's, there's a couple basketball <laughs> maybe, recruits. Maybe yeah. one within like 20 miles. You know, I'm presented with different locations, and I live down here in Atlanta, and I've all I've done covering high school football this season is drives. Go see the tight end commit there, receiver commit there, drive down to Florida to see this kid, uh, because that's where all the recruits are at. So um, having Chicago is great, uh, but still, you know, that's an hour and a half. Detroit's a few hours. Indianapolis is even a couple hours. So. I think not having the lotted studs in your backyard, that's the real thing. Honestly, this isn't even my opinion. I think this is pretty, I mean, pretty close to a borderline fact that Notre Dame will have lulls in communication with a lot of kids, especially underclassmen. Um, there's a kid who Notre Dame offered in May of 2019, like it was honestly like five days after I got the job offered him super, super early. A lot of people think, hey, Notre Dame doesn't offer guys early. They offered this kid really early. Um, and then they went on like a six-month hiatus of not talking to him and then just to pick it back up. So that lull in communication, I think, can hurt them a lot of these recruitments. Or a kid visits last November, um, stayed there two days. Obviously, he, and this kid's down in Florida. Uh, his name's Nakai Martinez. Um, 2022 cornerback ranked as a big time four-star player. He took a two day trip to Notre Dame in last November. Um, I want to say it's for the Virginia tech game and they didn't offer him until September 1st of this year. So it's like, if you would offer them back then though, 
you had a much better chance. So a lot of times I do offer early, um, but this one, I'm just like, why? Like, why was the the 10 month wait there? Um, So, you know, the the staff does a really nice job when it it identifies its guys and goes after them hard. That's when they're at their best. But there are just times where you're talking to a kid and it's like, yeah, Notre Dame is my dream school. Um, I have all these offers and and I'm I'm reaching out to Notre Dame, just not hearing from them. So that one, um, you know, maybe it's an academic thing. Maybe Notre Dame's like them as a player, but there's just a lot of times where I'm like, like, why isn't Notre Dame talking to this kid? Um, But also, you know, they're what 35 and six or whatever it is in the past few seasons. So what the heck do I know? Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. And I could totally see how that recruiting style might be perplexing at at times, but I'm just kind of curious from, your perspective, who do you think the best recruiters on the Notre Dame coaching staff are? Yeah, I think Jeff Quinn and Mike Elston are like 1A, 1B for me. Um, they do the best job of recruiting or offering early and then really sticking with them. Jeff Quinn, and he's a guy on the message board at, at Blue and Gold that he kept, he caught a lot of flack in the offseason. Like the Notre Dame offensive line wasn't as good as people would have hoped in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then Notre Dame had a chance with some big-time players in this 2021 recruiting class. And they were all – like a lot of these top targets were supposed to come on campus March 21st. And, of course, the pandemic happened. So none of them were able to visit. And they lost out on, on, on many of them because of that. So Quinn got a lot of heat. And then, you know, he lands Rocco Spindler – and uh, assembled a pretty strong offensive line class. And now people are kind of giving him a break now. So, um, but I I think he does the best job of offering guys early and then staying in consistent contact with them. Uh, I think he does a great job. Elston, Mike Elston, defensive line coach is the same way, offers early, stays in really good contact, builds a strong relationship. I think Elston's great. Um, Lance Taylor, running backs coach. I think he's been doing um, a really nice job. Clark Lee does a, a, a nice job. They haven't recruited a ton of linebackers recently, but him, his combination with uh, Nick Lazinski, defensive analyst, does a nice job. Polian, um, great job in Hawaii. I mean, across the board, I think the staff is assembled of great recruiters. Um, it's just a lot of times it's like when they do like really put their minds to it and, and recruit hard. I'm kind of surprised by the Jeff Quinn mentioned only because he's been the subject of a lot of criticism from Notre Dame fans, both as a recruiter and as a developer. And, you know, part of that is because he's following Harry Heastand, who's an absolute legend. Um, he coached some of the greatest lines in Notre Dame history and was just a dog on the recruiting trail. So that that was a little bit surprising to me. But Jeff Quinn is sort of Brian Kelly's guy, and that's who I want to get to now. So from your perspective, how would you assess Brian Kelly as a recruiter today? I need to, like, pull, pull up a picture of Brian Kelly on my phone and like, all right, I'm going to talk to you. All right. What would I say if I were talking to Brian Kelly? Like if he asked me, Hey Mike, what what do you think about me as a recruiter? This is what I would say in the living room. I don't think you're going to find many people better than him as a recruiter. You know, maybe, you know, Saban or Davos better. I don't know, but Kelly is amazing. When those in-home visits or he's on the phone with kids, they absolutely love him. He relates well. He's funny. Um, great with parents. He recruits parents better than anybody. He is a heck of a recruiter, but it's when he does it. 
That, that's, that's the thing for me and Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like him as a coach. I love him as a recruiter when he does it. He's absolutely one of the best, uh, absolutely in the living room. He's sitting with those kids in the in-home visit. Um, but the, I just feel like there's too many times where I'm interviewing a kid. So this isn't my opinion here. This, I'm talking to a kid and asking him, you just committed to Notre Dame. How many times you talked to Brian Kelly? And there's like, I texted him a good bit, but the first time I talked to him was when I committed. And I, that's not what Ed Orgeron's doing at LSU. Ed Orgeron is talking to kids um, who they aren't even, like they've offered, but don't even really want them that much. Like Ed Orgeron will be on a FaceTime with them. Like, I feel like he just will spend like three hours a day just on FaceTimes with kids. Um, you know, Kelly will, there, there are some instances where Kelly's talking in, in FaceTime with the kid a lot, but I just feel like it's been enough times where I'm, I'm talking to a recruit and it's, um, yeah, I, you know, this is my first time talking to Brian Kelly. And of course that phone call is always amazing. Every time it, Kelly's on with a recruit, it goes really well. Um, but it, it, the frequency there could be improved. That's interesting. And, and I think a lot of us probably thought, um, when he made that statement, um, leading into bowl week that we were discussing earlier about being a, a top five class year in and year out that, that maybe that was something that he was taking upon himself a little bit. I'm sure some of that has been limited by the pandemic, but it'll be interesting to see how that kind of progresses moving forward. But looking at this year's class, the, the class of 2021, which was obviously impacted by the pandemic, how would you rate that class right now? And, and how do you think it'll look after signing day when all is said and done? That's yeah, a pretty good class. I, I'm a glass half full guy. So they went on a run from like February to May of like just, I mean, they landed a bunch of guys, but a lot of three stars. And, and the, the fans are restless. We need to beat Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. We're not doing it with three stars. Part of that's true. Part of that's not. When you looked at kind of the context of, right, I'm going to look at Prince Colley. I'm going to look at Mitchell Evans. I'm going to look at Logan Diggs. All these kids that they're landing – and they're ranked as a three-star, but, like, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts of these kids. Um, so with that, I mean, I, I like a lot of these kids upside. Uh, I think it's a strong class. Uh, I, I would say it's better than the 2020 class. The 2020 class with, you know, your Michael Mayer, your Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson and Jordan Batelho, those guys, Clarence Lewis has come out of nowhere that was a top heavy class. I think this one is better from top to bottom, like just the entire class I would say is stronger. Um, But if you're going to ask me, I mean, for those who like don't follow recruiting a lot, you, you just be like, all right, I'll learn about these kids when they sign the dotted line. Mike, all I want you to tell me is, is this class getting us closer to beating Clemson? Um, And I would say, yes question mark (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i wouldn't say for sure uh i mean there's there's talent at quarterback i love the receiver class i love the offensive line class i love the linebacker commit so far and i would say at those positions it's pretty certain that like this is like national championship level level caliber guys but man it's just it's tough to project like who's going to be good of course you could look at star rankings and of course like a five star is a much better chance to go in the NFL and a three star uh, just based off you know your mathematics but there, we, we could really dive into that and do a lot more but um, regarding that but um, yeah it, it's a tough question to answer but sure. overall uh, if you want to have a grade on it maybe like a, a, a B B plus okay 
You mentioned the quarterback, Tyler Buckner, the four-star out of California. He probably has the most hype around him, even if he's not necessarily like the highest rated. Um, but in recent years, however, Notre Dame's highly ranked quarterbacks really haven't panned out that well. It's actually been the quarterbacks who were lesser recruited who end up being the long-term starters, thinking Ian Book, Deshaun Kaiser. Do you think that Buckner will break that trend and live up to the hype? Oh, man. Well, so it depends on who's hype. You know, if it's like the Notre Dame fan base, you know, they, you know, you got some thinking, you know, he should start, start as a come in and start as a true freshman. I, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, I've seen him in person twice. Some at the elite 11, which honestly he struggled at. He, he was not super sharp there, but then I saw him uh, four months before at our rivals camp in Los Angeles made it out there really just to, just to watch him. And he was really impressive. I mean, his junior year, he accounted for 81 touchdowns playing against, um, you know, competition that's more comparable to like eighth graders in Georgia. But um, I mean, I mean, honestly, it was, you know, low ball in San Diego wasn't very good, but what would you want Tyler to do against bad competitions? Absolutely dominate. And he scored 80, he counted for 81 touchdowns. So it's it's pretty stinking good. Um, I mean, he's, He's a running back who can throw the ball really well. That's that's the shortest assessment I can get on him. When he runs the football, he is like, whoa. He really can can get out there. Um, but under Kelly, you've had some of these dual-threat guys, and he wants to uh, keep him in the pocket. So with Buckner, he's somebody you've got to let him loose. Um, he's, on, he's at his best when he's outside the pocket and, and just – throwing dimes uh, across his body, like doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So uh, I I do think he will live up to the hype of um, being one of Kelly's best quarterbacks. Um, That's what I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll take that. that. That sounds promising enough. Who, I mean, who can really live up to the hype of, of Notre Dame fan base? As we know, it can be very uh, ex- extreme at times. But I guess something else I'm wondering is who else are in this, this class of 2021 do you think will have the biggest impact during their Notre Dame career? And obviously these things are hard to project, but just looking at it right now, who would you pick to be that individual? Yeah, Blake Fisher, I mean, he's the five-star. you got to start with him. He – I don't think Blake knows how good he can be. Like he, he's, he, he, he's, he knows he's pretty good, but I don't think he even knows how good he can be. Um, when he slims down, he's on the heavy side now. When he slims down, I think he could be an elite tackle, right tackle for Notre Dame. But if he doesn't lose, or if he doesn't lose some weight, he might end up staying at guard. I just think if he gets quicker, he could be such a good tackle. Um, Blake Fisher's a real elite prospect. Uh, Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles, and Jaden Thomas, that's your three receiver commitments. I, I think those guys all complement each other really well um, and should be big-time players. So I think Styles, um, I mean, Notre Dame fans are really going to love him. My two personal favorite recruits of the class um, are Prince Colley, linebacker from Tennessee, um, uh, you know, 6'2", super athletic, uh, picked Notre Dame over like Alabama, Oklahoma. He had all the offers. I think he is going to be a big time prospect. I said two favorite prospects. I'm going to say three. Chance Tucker is a corner from Los Angeles area. He's a lockdown kid. And my absolute favorite recruit in the class is Joe Walt. Have you guys heard of Joe Walt? He's the last one. He's like the lowest rated. He is the lowest rated recruit of the class. He plays tight end. He doesn't even play offensive tackle at the high school level. 
Uh, he's basically like a sixth offensive lineman, but they play him at tight end because he's the best player on the team, so they want to throw him the ball. His dad is John Alt, who was a, a two-time pro bowler uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Sure, yeah. Um, and he, his dad went to Iowa and moved from tight end to tackle his second year in college. Well, Joe's doing the same transition, but, you know, three, four years earlier. So um, – or he already knows it. So Joe played at like 230 as a junior, and he's already up to probably – um, last time I checked in was a month ago and he's at 270. So he's probably up to 280 now. I mean, 50 pounds he's gained um, wow. already in a year and it's like good weight. So I think Joe Waltz, I mean, yeah, again, the lowest ranked recruit of the class is my absolute favorite. I think he's got first round potential. Whoa. Yeah. I, I didn't even mention Rocco I mean, pretty good pedigree. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If he's anything like his dad, he's going to be an NFL player. Um, so I didn't even mention Rocco Spindler, you know, uh, Notre Dame favorite uh, top 100 nationally ranked guard. So it's, it's a really good class. I could get into it and talk about it for hours. So we'll have to do it again. All right. Well, Mike, this has been great. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at rivals underscore singer and check out his work on NotreDame.rivals.com as well as blue and gold illustrated for all of the latest news on Notre Dame football and basketball recruiting. Thanks again for doing this, man. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys. Sons of Saturday Irish. This is an awesome podcast. It's the second best Notre Dame podcast out there, of course. You know, my, my, mine's first, but you know, you <laughs> guys are the second. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. That was our conversation with Mike Singer. Was definitely really informative for us. Hope it was for some of you as well. Let's also hope that Tyler Buckner is more than just a running back who can throw. I've heard that before, a la Brandon Wimbush. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much my biggest takeaway, but great conversation with Mike. Well, did you have any thoughts on Florida State this weekend? No, I think we spent enough time on Florida State the past two weeks, so uh, we could wrap it up with that. Guys, thanks for listening, and please, if you enjoy it, rate, review, and subscribe. We re- really appreciate the feedback, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Bye.